Now, it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Betty Ann Hagee, a leading female executive whose career has been working in male-dominated fields. Consider that in 2015, Betty Ann was given the Trailblazer Award from Women in Mining Canada and named one of the 100 Global Inspirational Women in Mining. Betty Ann's 30 years of experience and her insights have led her to write an important, great book, Gender Physics, Unlock the Energy You Never Knew You Had to Get the Results You Want. Let's meet this amazing woman and learn. Betty Ann Hagee, good morning. It is so wonderful to have you join us this morning. Oh, Kate, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I am so intrigued and excited to share the information from your new book, Gender Physics, Unlock the Energy You Never Knew You Had to Get the Results You Want. And this really gives us a, a really good different viewpoint perspective that uh, I think in a new vein. So thank you so much for, of course, writing the book and for helping us to really understand a new perspective. Well, you know, it's my pleasure. And I came by all of this on my own from being a woman, a single woman working in management in a mining fertilizer industry, which was very male-dominated and very macho. And I could see from working with the men that I worked with, they'd come into my office and on a one-on-one basis. They had a lot of heart, and they talked about their children and wanting to be good parents. And then I would observe them once they got into the boardroom with all the other guys and the way they, the the bravado that stepped in about we're going to be tough and we're going to be strong and And I also realized that they had very different expectations for how I should act because I was a woman. And I realized that none of us were really being who we really were, but in fact we were living out almost a drama of being a performance, of being a gender. Uh, You know, we're born, we're labeled pink or blue, And with that, all these expectations are heaped upon us about the way we should act and how we should be. So we stifle ourselves as individuals to try to fit into a gender box, and it's limiting. And you yourself, so this was really such enlightenment to to get that perspective early on. But as you were growing up, uh, you came from a family where your mother was certainly a great champion of you being able to be whoever you wanted to be. Absolutely. My parents really were. My mother was actually a working woman way before her time. And one of the things that she used to say that, I thought actually was illuminating for me, and and I don't know if it actually made it into the book or not. I forget. You know, I ended up editing and cutting, trying to make it fit into a certain number of words. But she used to say, if she was in a tough situation, she knew that a woman's way of approaching a situation might not be um, tough enough or acceptable because she was in management, and she would say to herself what would a man do under these circumstances? And she would consider that as an alternative of a way that she could act. And that always resonated with me, that we have these ideas about the way that a woman should act and a way that a man should act, and that not only limits us and the options that we have when we go forward into a tough situation, but also the expectations from others about how we should act. And so 
this started for you at, at such a young age, and of course your mother would have definitely been a great model to instill this in you and carry it through. She really was, and you know, I my pa- I grew up in a small town hotel, and my parents, my father was, uh, you know, very open about I was the oldest child, and you know there was always lots of things to do in the hotel, so I grew up working behind the desk at a young age, then working in the restaurant, working changing rooms, working in the in the bar, and um, so it was never you know, you're a girl, you can't do that. You're a boy, you can't do that. It was always, we need help, step in here, get this done. And so you you saw things as genderless, not as this is a boy's job or this is a girl's job. And I do remember at a young age, probably being only about five years old, and already learning to work behind the desk. And those were the days of travelers that um, went up and down the highway and or up and down, they had, a, they had a district where they would stay in a different hotel every night. So we would have travelers that were there Monday and different travelers that were there Tuesday. And so they all had their favorite rooms. And I remember being behind the desk when a man was checking in, and I thought, okay, I remember which room he wants, and I ran and got the key, and then I went and got the cash box so that my father could cash him out and so on. And I remember him being quite admiring of my efficiency at this at a, at a young age behind the desk and he said you know you could put that girl out in the back alley and she could fend for herself and you know i could see my father was very proud of these characteristics that i was you know independent and self-sufficient and then he said i wish my son had half that gumption and i realized that for that his son it was a negative to be compared to a girl and for me as a girl it was a positive to be compared to a boy and that improved my credibility and or my value and i suddenly realized that we have an uneven construct in the world between men and women in that men are considered boys the attributes of the masculine are considered to be more valuable than those of the feminine and that was that i think is to our detriment because we then say to boys oh don't cry like a girl like as if that's a negative thing to be compared to a girl and that means that boys don't want to pick up the characteristics that we traditionally think of as being feminine such as being emotional or compassionate or empathetic because they view that as being weaker or less than and in this multifaceted world where we're now going global and we're interacting with people all over the world, we need to be empathetic and reading body language and being more intuitive. And those are often the characteristics that are attributed to being female. And, you know, men need them too. And it, they, they'll be better off in their careers if they use those characteristics. So I'm saying a lot here, I know, Kate, in a, in a big breath, but what I'm really trying to say is there are times to use the attributes that we typically think of as being masculine, such as being strong and independent and self-sufficient and bottom-line oriented and analytical, but there are also times to be nurturing and supportive and compassionate and caring and collaborative, and those are the characteristics that we would typically think of as being feminine. And men and women need to be able to feel free to use all of those attributes instead of just half of them. 
And I think that sometimes it's a case of almost being given permission that we need to have that feeling in order to express that. Otherwise, we feel that somehow we're not being who we should be. But I think this is what we find in gender physics. And as you're speaking to us this morning, Betty Ann, that we are finding that we have these different parts of ourselves to embrace that or to really discover that and to share it and and be comfortable with that. Absolutely. And what's so interesting about it is there's really very few physical differences between the genders and really between the two sexes because sex really is our biological, whether we are labeled male or female, but gender is really what happens. You know, I have a friend that says, Sex is between your legs and genders in your head, between your ears. And, you know, gender is something that we think about the way that we should act. And so we used to have, and so I was going to say, there's very few physical differences between the genders, uh, the sexes. Men grow taller than women. They are physically stronger, usually, on average. There are women, of course, that grow taller and women that, that are stronger, but... And by and large, men, they sweat more. Women have greater peripheral vision. But, you know, things like our fingerprints, which really identify us as individuals, there's nothing about those that flag you as being male or female. And in the 90s, there was a whole bunch of books that were written on the male brain and the female brain, and as that was the explanation for why men and women would be different than one another. And I was always fascinated with this topic, and I read all those books. But there's new research that came out of the University of Tel Aviv just in the last year and a half, and it completely debunks everything that's in those books. And basically what it says is that there's no male or female brains. In fact, brains that we would consider male or female are fewer than 1%. And all of us have a brain that is made up of a myriad of characteristics, and that is who we are. We are made up of a myriad of characteristics. And that's what makes us an individual and different from one another. And so we do need to just give ourselves permission to allow all of those characteristics to come forward. And then if we can use them in the right circumstances with the right audience, we're going to be more successful. So that is definitely very exciting because there may have been that early conditioning, uh, parents who are guiding their children down that blue path or down the pink path. (laughs) But if we are able to know that really our brains are virtually the the same, uh, that we have that potential to be whatever, and inside us, we we know that, don't we? We have that instinct. We do. It's just that we, you know, we all want to fit in. And so what happens is, you know, once we're born and, and we are labeled, as you say, down the pink path to the blue path, it's like a yoke they put around our necks. And I've read research where they take people and observe parents and ask their parents to describe their babies. And these are children that are three months old. And they will describe a boy child and say, oh, look how he wants to crawl away from me or how he, how he doesn't want to be hugged already. Or, and with little girls, they'll say, oh, look how, how uh, cuddly she is and how soft and pretty she is. And they are describing these children using the attributes 
that we would typically think of as masculine or feminine when an outside observer doesn't see any difference in the children at all. So there's that real, uh, like a subconscious direction that's happening. Well, it's all subconscious. I mean, it's so interesting. We use only 10% of our brain consciously, and the other 90% is happening. It's making decisions for us beneath the surface. We don't even realize that it's happening. You know, the brain will be saying, time to breathe, time to have lunch. You know, you're in a food court, and it's walking you towards, the brain has already decided what you usually have, and is walking towards that particular restaurant in the food court before you consciously even decided what you want. And so it's, and there's, there was a study that came out of Yale where they put cleaning products in front of people, and as soon as they smelt them, they felt a, an urge to clean up. <laughs> and they, as soon as they put a briefcase down in, somebody, they, in front of somebody, they thought, oh, I should be thinking about work. So our subconscious takes all these clues And that means that we have certain expectations that have been programmed. Our subconscious starts making its software of our brain at age three months. So we start subconsciously thinking, this is the way I'm supposed to act because I'm a girl, or this is the way I'm supposed to act because I'm a boy, or this is the way I expect a boy to act towards me. So anyway... What happens is, so here's an example. A woman who's a professor at, she's at Yale. Her name is Lara Borotsky. And she took pictures, you know, we have certain languages have, they take nouns and they make them either male or female, you know, like a a couch or a pillow could be a male or a female in their language, and masculine or feminine. So French is like that, and so is Spanish and German and Russian. So anyway, she took a picture of a bridge, and she took this bridge to people in Germany where a bridge is considered feminine in their language, and she asked them to describe it, and they said, it's pretty, it's elegant, it's slender. They described it with all the attributes that we would think of as being feminine. And then she took exactly the same picture of exactly the same bridge to people in Spain. And in Spain, in their language, a bridge is considered masculine. So, you know, you can imagine, (laughs) I know you know, Kate, what's coming next. (laughs) Right. They described it as, it's strong, it's bold, it's sturdy. So it's exactly the same bridge, but they were imbuing it with different characteristics based on whether they thought it was masculine or feminine. It is, that is so fascinating. And we then place that on human beings and we can see that innate bias that comes through only because of that conditioning that we have. Isn't that amazing? Yes. I know. It's it's like, and then, so then, of course, women feel, I have to be elegant, I have to be slim, and men think I have to be bold and I have to be sturdy. Right. And so often that's not who they are at all. And so what I say in my book is that if you want to be successful in business, you need to play to you need to understand your strengths and play to your strengths. You need to do that as a company, you need to do that as an individual. And if you are a manager in business, 
you want to hire people with the right skills and attributes and put them in the right position and then where they can use those skills and attributes and then help them develop them. But when people are hiding who they really are in order to fit into a gender box, well, that means that they're limiting their ability to play to their strengths, and it doesn't give you as a manager an opportunity to develop their strengths, and we're all losing productivity. And we're all also losing so much great potential and and just that sheer joy of living if we're having to kind of restrict some natural part of ourselves. Absolutely. we That's the bigger picture. We are restricting the joy of being ourselves. And what I really appreciate, let's mention your website because there's such a wealth of information, but there's also a survey that I I love taking these little surveys and just kind of <laughs> underscoring what, what I know or maybe gives me an insight. But So let's mention your website. Uh, it's just all you have to do is Google my name, Betty Ann Hagee, B-E-T-T-Y-A-N-N-H-E-G-G-I-E. And there, as I said, a, a wealth of information. But this survey also, I think, is just very simple, and it will really underscore what we perhaps already realize. Or maybe it'll give us, a, you know, percolate some questions about whether, you know, where do I stand on this scale? So I think that that's really a, a very helpful little tool to use. You know, it is it is a fun thing to do. That's, of course, a shortened version of the longer survey, which is in the book. And because I know that we are all a myriad of characteristics based on that Tel Aviv research, I divided all of the attributes that we would typically think of as being masculine or feminine. And, and let me just say here, Kate, that when I get into a debate with someone, and the, or a common question that I would get is, who decided? Who says these are feminine attributes and who says these are masculine attributes? And my answer to that is, if we had a, you know, a day together and I put up all these attributes on a screen and asked you to divide them into categories and name them as masculine and feminine, this is what happens in a full-day workshop that I would conduct. I can tell you that Everybody always puts all the ones that I have in feminine in the feminine category and all the ones that I have in the masculine in the masculine category because that's how we have been conditioned. I didn't make this up. We've just been socialized by like this for generations. And, in fact, it's older than just generations. It goes right back to the um, ancient Confucian wisdom of the Tao in China um, which is the yin and the yang, where they divide all the attributes into the yang, which is masculine, and the yin, which is feminine. So it's, it's really considered ancient wisdom. But anyway, um, what I did in the book is I divided all the attributes into categories. And I then took the larger survey and made it into, I asked people to add up their scores on certain questions, and that told them whether they were masculine or feminine in each category. And so what people find is that they might be masculine in the we-me category, which means they're very independent and more concerned about their being an individual than they are about the collective. But when it gets over to the no-go category, they might be more uh, feminine than they are masculine, which is that they rely a great deal on their 
intuition or gut reaction, and that they have a great deal of, uh, you know, people who are in the no category, um, they already have a sense of what they want to do, where those who are in the go category, they just kind of learn by doing. And it's not what I take great pains to say in the book is that none of this is right or wrong. It all has a place and a time to use it. It's like the old song, there is a time, you know, everything, there's a time for everything, for every season. And it just means that use it when the time is right and don't allow yourself to use it all the time because if you use it all the time, you're probably using it to the extreme. And my mother, again, who was full of little sayings, used to say too much of a good thing is a bad thing. So you never want to wind up your natural, the natural go-to energy to the extreme because that's when your strengths become weaknesses and your virtues become vices. And that kind of scale in each chapter is really illuminating, I find, because just to underscore what you've just said, Betty Ann, it just shows us that there is that kind of yin and yang, the pro and con of each one, to just see how to use that in balance. Or sometimes we just need to go full force with it. Other times we, you know, kind of pull it back somewhat. And that's, you know, I have a girlfriend, I think I described that in the book as well, that she um, calls herself a Corvette. She says, I know that I'm a Corvette, and that means I'm built for speed, but I also know that I don't want to drive full speed through a neighborhood where there's a lot of children. That's going to get me in trouble. So I dial back my natural inclination under some circumstances. That's a great metaphor to consider. Really? Yes. Yeah. No, I wish I could claim it, but I have a girlfriend who's smart, and that's what she said. Well, see, that's where, again, using these kinds of talents and awarenesses is to give credit where credit's due. That's great. It it shows that collaboration we have. Well, that's true, and that's 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 really a feminine uh, attribute, isn't it? You know, another thing that I was going to mention is that I, when I uh, I have actually had really a lot of positive feedback from men on this book. I thought when I wrote it that I was going to get a pushback from men just because they've all been trained, you know, to to try to be masculine and, and to not want to be feminine, you know. And um, it's interesting, a young man who's, oh, in his 30-something, who was, who read the book and gave me a testimonial on it. He's a doctor. And he came when I did my first book launch and made some remarks and said, you know, when I took the test, I found that I was feminine. My go-to energy was feminine. And he said, I was really uncomfortable with that. And then he said, I realized that being a doctor, it was a really important attribute for me in my bedside care to be a good listener and to be um, nurturing. And he said, an empathetic, and he said, and I also realized that whenever I tried to um, deny my natural instinct and really try to be masculine and dial it up to the extreme, he said, that's when I always got myself in trouble. And I thought, I couldn't ask for a better testimonial for why this is important. And I think that uh, what's happening is that I'm getting so much positive feedback from men 
who I think are feeling that they've really been under scrutiny and being criticized lately. And they're appreciating the fact that I'm saying, no, I'm not saying this is you as a man. I'm saying this is too much masculinity dialed up to the extreme. And women can do that, too. Exactly. Yes. So finding that balance. Exactly. Finding the balance. You know, I don't know if you're familiar, but at the beginning of this year, the um, American Psychology Association came out with new guidelines on how to, um, as a, for therapists, on how to deal with their male clients. And there was a big uproar because they talked about the, they lumped together a whole bunch of characteristics that they considered traditional masculinity. And they said it's characterized by anti-femininity, achievement, rejection of weakness, adventure, risk, and violence. And I looked at that and I thought, you know, some of those are strengths, and they're good parts of being masculine, and some of them are weaknesses when masculinity is dialed up to the extreme, and they're just lumping it all together, and I think that's throwing the baby out with the bathwater. So on my website, I have a blog, and I just finished writing a blog and posting it about the transformation that's happening within masculinity right now, and I basically went down that list of six, and I said, Half of these are positive. Don't get rid of them. And the other half that are negative, just dial them back a bit. Yes, that's right. Just that awareness is so yes. critical in being able to really be who we are meant to be. But um, if we don't continue to learn and be informed, and as you're already showing us, so many things change, Betty Ann. And uh, just to keep up to date with that is our best kind of information and education. We need to do it. Yes, that's so absolutely true. And it's you nailed it when you said what it is is awareness. Because so many people will say to me, okay, I get it. How do I change? And, of course, the first step really is awareness. You have to stop and say, am I doing this? And then if you are doing it, you need to find ways to change it. And I do give a number of exercises in the book because they're exercises that are really just baby steps in giving yourself permission to change the learned behavior that started when you started reciting the nursery rhyme that, you know, little boys are made of snips and snails and puppy dog tails, and, you know, little girls, I forget, were soft and nice and, you know. So, you know, you repeat that over along with a number of other messages that we see in our media and messages we get at school or from, from parents. And we have to change that conditioning, and the way we change the conditioning is just by being coming aware. So it starts with taking the a little quiz that I have on my website, and then maybe reading the book and taking a longer quiz and figuring out where you dial it up to the extreme and get yourself in trouble, you know, like maybe where you drive too fast through the children's neighborhood, or where you can dial it back. And then I talk about the different ways that you can learn to dial it back. And, of course, part of the reason that we are the way we are is that we want to fit in. So you need to find people who support you in making change. Absolutely. And that, you know, could be a mentor. And that could be finding friends that support you. 
finding a different friendship group. And it's also, you know, being aware that you don't have to change it all today. It can be just baby steps. I use the example of putting salt on your food. You know, if you know that you need a little bit of salt, use a bit, taste it, and then see if you need some more. And that's what I say about making behavior change. Make it a baby step. Use a little bit, see if it worked, do some assessment, and then see if you need a little more. And there's another great metaphor. (laughs) You know, so often I find that, you know, special little quotes or little metaphors like this are like a guiding principle for us that make it so much easier to test out a different concept. Well, you know, I'm a big movie fan, as you know, from reading my book, and I use a lot of movie examples in my book. And, of course, if you like movies like I do and study them, you realize that another important facet of a movie is its promotion, which is its poster. And, of course, a movie poster is just going to give you a little snippet, something that tells you what it's about. And that's what you need. That's what these little snippets can do for your brain. They can help you. All you have to do is just sort of say it. I'm, you know, I'm not a Corvette. Or I am a Corvette. I'm, I'm, I'm a Corvette driving slowly. And that's all you need to say to yourself. It's time for me. And that can be your guiding light in helping yourself slow down. It's all so fascinating. And we could just <laughs> go on and on because it's just so intriguing. But the thing to do is, of course, get a copy of Gender Physics. It's just so illuminating. It's, uh, you know, our, our next university class that we're taking, and we can do this on our own at our own pace. Well, thank you very much. I'm so glad you enjoyed the book, and it is available on Amazon, so it's very easy for people to get. And uh, I'm just really, for me, you mentioned that I had so much stuff on my website, and that's because I'm viewing this as my mission in life, which is to help people get rid of these external expectations about how they should act or how they should be treated because of their gender so that they can actually be truly themselves. And we benefit greatly beyond our greatest imagination, I think, by pursuing this. And I'm just so grateful, Betty Ann, that you've had this vision and that you are pursuing it. Well, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about it because it's all about having the conversation. My pleasure. And with that, we're at the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Betty Ann Hagee and Sunday Morning Magazine with Dr. Gary Epler. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I do greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I'll get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 1069 webpage. Click on the on-air tab, then Sunday mornings, and look for the show and guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of considering who we are and what is the life we want to create. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9. Have a powerfully great day.